Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Jerry Polly of Hibbly Horror Stories, my friend and the person who really got me into this podcasting gig. So, uh, hey, Jerry, welcome to the show. You're not Diane Sawyer. <laughs> That's who the emails that I was meeting with. What's up with this? Diane Sawyer, what? <laughs> hey, Leslie, you know I love you. I know. You're so weird. <laughs> no, uh, you know, Jerry is a really good friend of mine, guys. And we had a live show last October in Dallas. And I finally got to meet him in person, him and his lovely wife, Tracy. And we had such a great time at, gosh, what was the name of the place? Um Outlaw Barbecue. Yes, I was, it was on the tip of my tongue and had just a great time. But And I really haven't talked or seen. Well, I've, I've talked to you a couple times, but I haven't seen you, of course, since then. But it was so good meeting you in person and giving you that tight bear hug that I wanted to give you, whether you liked it or not. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to have you on my show because, you know, here's the deal. Jerry and Tracy are very philanthropic, and he loves to do charity work. And with the Kentucky tornado victims... He and Tracy had a campaign to raise money, and I'm telling you, they raised so much money. They had car loads, probably van loads, truck loads of relief items for the victims of the Kentucky tornadoes, because that's where they live. And so, Jerry, kind of tell me what got you into doing this, and I know you've done past charity work, so tell me all about those things. Yeah, charity work is something that, and I talk about this in my book, at one point in time, when we were making decent money financially from our day jobs, I started using strictly my comedy shows as benefits to raise money for numerous things. And we'll get into that later. Okay. But it's a good thing to be able to have an audience, whether it be a comedy audience, whether it be a podcast audience, that you can solicit donations from people. And it's just something about that platform that makes, you know, it's like stretching a dollar. You, you can only do so much yourself. But if you can enlist literally thousands of people, you know, that can really be something to benefit the masses. And that's kind of what we did. So obviously on Friday night here, December 10th, which was the same anniversary as the death of my mother, oh, there was a huge outbreak of tornadoes through six states in the Midwest. Yeah. And Kentucky was one of them that was hit really hard uh, out in the western part of the state, which is about uh, most of the damage started about three and a half hours from where we live. Oh and we were we were lucky, obviously, that yeah. we weren't hit. But we immediately started thinking that there's a broadcast team here in Lexington that we patterned our show after. It's called Kentucky Sports Radio. Oh, wow. And they are it's three guys, sometimes four guys, just depends on the day. But they let you know everything about themselves. I mean, they're like family because we know all the guys and we know their fiancés or their wives. And we know when one of them went through a breakup and we know where they live and where, all this stuff. And we, and now they got a bar in town. It's a bar and grill. And so you can go by and see them on a regular basis. And I've been listening to the show for 10 years. And I love, you know, it's a sports show per se. But if you listen to the two hours of it, you might get 45 minutes of sports oh, on a good day. Yeah. And the rest of it is, I mean, they'll do silly countdowns. They'll do, you know, cereal brackets as to which cereal you like. And, yeah. But it's they'll talk about anything. And it makes it so, so much of an endearing program that when we decided when we were going to do Heavily Horror Stories that I wanted to do the same thing. And that's why our life is an open book. Nice. 
And and just to give you an idea for the charity thing, and they actually started there's after hours, but this is the biggest sports show in America that's dedicated to a team. So, I mean, like you've got ESPN shows that are bigger, but this one's dedicated to uh, University of Kentucky sports. They started a drive two days ago. They've collected $380,000 to go towards the 20 in two days. That's the kind of love that this show has and how they can bring people together. So, and that's one of the things they've done that in the past. And that's one of the things I love about them. So we try to do something similar. And uh, so we decided on Saturday morning after seeing all this, I told Tracy, I said, look, here's what we need to do. We need to try to put some stuff together and we'll go down there on Wednesday. Now this was just us. I wasn't even thinking about our audience. And then I thought, you know what, how about we put this up for audience? Because last year we had a listener in our group that really fell on hard times, lost their job, lost everything, had an autistic child Mm -hmm. and a car needed to be fixed. And our listeners raised $1,700 for that particular listener. The year before Tracy and I brought in a homeless family of five to our house and gave them a complete Christmas. We brought them in, we bought them gifts, we had dinner. And so this is the third year in a row we've been able to do something at Christmas time, and it, albeit three completely different things. And this was obviously a completely different circumstance with what happened. Right. So we decided to let the listeners in, and over the course of Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we had approximately seventeen hundred dollars donated. Oh my gosh. Through- through cash. And we had another listener that's a, a friend of Tracy's. Her and her husband listened to the show. They got on the phone to their family and they came up with $500 and she went and purchased $500 worth of necessities, which were like diapers, baby wow. formula, baby food, hygiene products, uh, blankets, right. uh, diapers, stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, canned dog food. People don't even think about the fact that there's, there's pets that are, sure. you know, One of the cities here, Dawson Springs, which was one of the hardest hits, they lost 75% of their houses. I don't even understand. It's hard to compute that. I mean, what do you do? What do you do? It's it's amazing. So we get all this stuff together. We loaded up our car. And then we had people give us uh, bags and bags also of like used blankets and used clothes and some toys. So we're completely full. And we kind of thought we had an idea of where we had to go to drop this stuff off Wednesday. Uh, so we get down to Dawson Springs. That's the first thing. Unbeknownst to us, Dawson Springs and Mayfield were the two hardest hits. Most people have heard about Mayfield. That's where the candle factory was that had right. 110 yes. people that was completely leveled while they were all in there oh, working. That was our two locations. They're about an hour apart from each other. And as we got to the exit for Dawson Springs and got off, we're still about 12 to 15 miles from that city. We realized that President Biden is coming to those two cities. Uh, yeah, well, that yeah. won't get you anywhere. <laughs> right. You can't go so, anywhere so we, that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, there, you know, and when we were there, they said he was landing in like 40 minutes. But everything's kind of on lockdown at that right. point oh, already. Exactly, yeah. So we go into this little uh, convenience store, and we say, where can we go drop this stuff off? And they say, well, go this way. About seven miles, there is a school, and they've got it set up there to where you can go drop the stuff oh, off. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So she said, but she did say there's a couple of other schools along the way and they may be taking stuff. So we stop at the first school, not the, the big one she told us. Right. And I talked to the, actually the lady that was the assistant director or the, the director of personnel mm-hmm. at the schools. 
And she's telling me how horrible it is there. Oh. So we're in a town called Erlington that I have never heard of. And it's not one that's been on the news, but she said, we were hit so hard. She said, right up the road, she said, you're, before you get to school, you're going to go over some railroad tracks. She said, there was a train sitting on those railroad tracks. It actually got blown into some houses. Oh, my gosh. And she said that the school itself up there was set up like a little grocery store to where people could people in need just came up there and picked out what they wanted. Right. And so she said, now, I can take the stuff here, but I'll have to take it all back up to the school. And I didn't want her to have to do that. We had a, a whole SUV. We couldn't even see out the back window. There was, right. it was, oh, I saw the there pictures. Was, you, yeah. yeah, you couldn't put anything <laughs> yeah. else in there. Yeah, yeah. Anything else, Tracy would have been holding it. And <laughs> yeah. so we start to go up. I said, no, I'll take it up there. So we start to go up this road, and it's blocked by military. Oh, no. So we can't get up there. Now, apparently the road had been opened earlier, but there was so much damage that they, were, they, mm. they needed to close the road off. So they give us directions on somewhere else to go, another school. We go to that school, and it's like 20 minutes away. And then they tell us that they're completely full at that school. Same setup. They were doing the grocery store thing, but they're completely full. They couldn't take any more. Oh, wow. So they send us to Madisonville, Kentucky, which is another 10, 15 minutes away, to an old Staples location. It's in They were closed down, and there was nothing inside except for some shelves along a couple of the walls. It's completely empty. And this is where they were taking donations. So we went there and we were able to unload everything there, but they would only take brand new stuff. So the bags we had of used clothes, we had to take to a Goodwill that was across the street because if so, I mean, it was, it's not as easy as you would think it would be. So our, our plan was once we got the, once we got there and there were fire stations unloading from all over the state, it was amazing to see the people come together and all these crates and uh, pallets of water and forklifts moving them all. Wow. It's just nonstop stuff coming in. And this place was just a distribution center. So nobody was coming here to to get stuff, but they were sending it out throughout the, the county, wherever it was needed. So we unloaded everything there. And then we were like, okay, so we can't go to Mayfield. Where do you guys suggest we go? And they got on the phone and uh, our intentions were to just load up with the same things, diapers and formula and all that stuff. Right. But they called Bremen, which is a town right in between these two cities. And it was hit really hard, too. Matter of fact, they lost their uh, district judge. He passed away there. They had seven or eight people. It's a smaller city. But they were devastated, too. And she called up there, and and they said what they really needed, unbeknownst to us, was chainsaws, work gloves, and tarps, Mm. and gas cards. And this is kind of the the emotional part, Leslie. Now, first of all, when we're talking to the lady at the school and she's telling me about the train that blew into the houses and she starts tearing up, she said, I really can't even talk about it. It's just so emotional. And, you know, I sit there and gave her a hug and this is a complete stranger that I didn't know. And we're just sitting there embracing in a school parking lot. And it's like she didn't want to let go. And that's sad in its own right. But we get here. And the reason that they tell us that they really now need more chainsaws and work gloves and stuff is because it's no longer a search and rescue mission. Oh. They've closed that and now it's clean up. And when you when you hear that, it just it just hits you in the gut that, you know, there's wow. people there's tons of people still missing. And now it's like we're at that point where we just presume that they're no longer alive. Right. And oh. It's it's very sad. It's very emotional. I know Tracy broke down and started crying inside the place. And so but we still had about eight hundred dollars to spend at this point. Okay. So we went down to Lowe's and uh, we bought three chainsaws. Oh, God, that's 
uh, decent chains, but we bought three chainsaws, brand new. And then we went and bought some gas cards. And then the rest of the money we had left, there was about, you know, we took that actually up to Bremen to the uh, volunteer fire department. And, and, you know, this was something that I thought was extremely sweet. There was a guy in the parking lot of Lowe's, Mm -hmm. have no clue who he is. He walks up and knocks on our window. And he's he's got these styrofoam containers of uh, plates of food. And he says, are you guys hungry? Do you need some food? And we're like, no, sir, we're good. Thank you so much. Because I know there's people who do need it. Right. And uh, I said, we're get, we're just here getting supplies. We're getting ready to go up to Bremen, which was about 30 minutes away. And he said, here, take these up there to the fire department. Oh. And it was it was barbecue plates. I mean, it was like pork loin and oh, green yeah. beans and a couple of sides. And it had a sticker on each one that said, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said like... Uh, operation barbecue something and then and as we leave and he's handing just stuff out so i'm like this wasn't even a location to where there were people necessarily that were hurt by the tornado right. but this shows the giving Absolutely. that was that's in the area these guys are just you know handing out free food to anybody that wants it and you know it was just an awesome thing to see so Absolutely. we go to the fire department we drop off those and uh, we still had some money to give and they suggested that we go to Central City because there, all the banks up there had a fund set up that was going to go directly there. So some of these funds that you go by the phone and stuff, eventually it'll get somewhere. Right. But this was immediate need funds. So mm-hmm. they were turning over this money every single day to the people who needed it right there as far as whatever they needed, whether right. it be gas or whether it be uh, heavy equipment or whatever, whatever the deal was. It was getting to the people. So we went and spent the last $360 we had and put it there. Nice. So, but it was, um, it was awesome. There was a lot of good podcaster friends we have that were checking on us and saying, Hey, what, what can we do? Yeah. There were people that, you know, that maybe couldn't give financially that were giving their prayers and keeping up with stuff and their positive thoughts. And all of that matters. All of it matters. Absolutely. Not everybody can give financially, especially at this time of year. And just knowing that the thoughts and prayers were there were just as important. But you know, Jerry, I hear it in your voice. You were very moved. You and Tracy were very moved by this. And there's something to be said when you can even get something out of it, not monetarily, but just the feeling of of togetherness and community and people helping each other. We live in a world where so many of us are divided in our thoughts and the way we think about Certain things should go in the world and all those things. But when tragedy hits and you can move people, whether they're victims or they're helpers, I mean, to me, that sends a message of just pure love. I mean, just pure giving love. Yeah, and I appreciate it. And it, it's, you know, we drove a lot yesterday. I mean, we drove probably 11 hours and I was exhausted by the time we got home. It was an emotional day, yes. a lot of driving, a lot of emotion. But at the same time, it's nothing compared to what those people in that area are going through. And just to see the way everybody was bonding together, to see the way everybody was putting their neighbors first was amazing. And it gives you hope for humanity. Yeah, you know, because that's not going on right now. Nobody's putting anyone first. Uh, I don't even know if I want to answer the door sometimes when my neighbors come. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) But no, but but when tragedy hits and things like this happen, you know, like 9-11 or anything like that. Remember when it was just everybody was so I remember everyone was so kind to each other for like a for a long time. I'd be at the grocery store and everybody was just it's like we were beaten so hard down, just like these tornado victims. They're just like. 
we just want good things to happen now. We just want love. We just want people to help each other. And, and all we can do is, is support each other. And that's exactly what you did. And I know you were exhausted. I saw your post yesterday. And God bless you and Tracy for doing this. And every year you do this. And I know you started doing this in your comedy, like you said. Now, have you been doing this for years, pretty much the whole time? Or is that really what got yeah. you started? It's kind of funny. We, we realized we started doing it's, it's you know, and it's not even our first tornado uh, thing because back when Joplin, Missouri oh, yeah. had the tornado that hit uh, my, myself and a buddy named Chuck Porter, we set up a comedy event that was comedy for Joplin. And every penny we went went to the Joplin Fund. So, I mean, we've we've done it before. Most of the time when we've done them, it's more individual. But uh, back in, shoot, my my first real date with Tracy was to a comedy benefit that I was doing. I brought her to a comedy benefit. There was a gentleman with cystic fibrosis, and he was having a double lung transplant and, and needed money for that. And we put together an event. But it was something that comedy wise i used it believe it or not to cope with my mom's death the after my mom's favorite charity was make a wish and after she passed away i'd only been doing comedy for six or seven months i decided to set up some benefits around town to where all of the money would go to make a wish foundation and it takes for those of you who've never been involved with that organization it's it's touching because it's all going to children that are terminally ill or pretty close to terminally ill. And it's to get them something right. for their them and their family to remember after that person's gone. Yeah, yeah. And it takes about at least back then. And we're talking 15 years ago, 16 years ago. It used to take about six thousand dollars per wish. Yeah. And once you get that wish together, they give you the opportunity to meet the family or get to know the family. And I was able to complete two wishes through Make-A-Wish oh, wow. in, in my mom's name. Nice. And that, so that was that was my first real taste. And then what started happening is we would have people that knew that we did these benefits. So there was a little kid named uh, Nathan Pauling. He was six years old. It wasn't a Make-A-Wish deal. He was just somebody that a friend of one of our other comedian friends knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, like I said, a six-year-old little boy, terminal cancer. And we was able to put together a comedy event that actually got written up in the paper uh, in Bardstown. And uh, we did a comedy event for him and raised enough money to get him and his family to Disneyland. Oh. And unfortunately, he passed away probably three months after that. Oh, but you gave him some uh, really great memories, though. We, My goodness. We, oh. we got him there. And, yeah. and then... We started having people that, unfortunately, that would die in a car accident and they didn't have any money to be buried. And they would come to us and say, would you consider doing a benefit for us? We did that. Uh, A couple of uh, uh, babies that had some birth defects that, you know, needed surgeries and stuff. We did benefits for that. And it got to where, you know, people were just reaching out to us all the time. You know, they had a fire and lost everything in the fire or just whatever the situation was. So. This is something that is as long as I've been involved in comedy, I've done things to try to solicit. Like I said, once I got to where I gave up comedy as a full time gig and just did it part time, we were making enough money between Tracy and myself to where almost every time I did a comedy show, it was for a benefit. And we started a a charity called the Rent Daddy. That was my stage name, the Rent Daddy. It was called the Rent Daddy Charitable Fund. And here's the politics of it, but I'll get into that in a second. But what we were trying to do was we were just doing shows and put money in that account. Mm -hmm. And then if somebody, uh, an elderly couple needed money for 
their electric bill right. or if, you know, somebody was getting ready to get evicted or something like that. We were using that money to help people catch up on their bills or, or whatever. Nice. And we had the, the, the charitable funds. What is that? The 503 C I think. I can't remember what what it is, but you got to sign up to be a charity. Well, what we didn't realize is that when you actually have a charity, obviously it's under scrutiny, which it should be. But it's not only under scrutiny, they have to make sure that you're not being biased or you're not discriminating against people. So it becomes so much paperwork. We couldn't do what we wanted to do. We couldn't just take $300 out and pay for Mr. and Miss Albert's electric bill. It had to go through a certain channel. We had to make sure that we weren't discriminating against other people of, of color or religion sure. or yeah. ethnicity or any of that stuff. And then you, and so by the time you could get them the money, it was too late. They were already had their electric cut off or whatever. Oh, yeah. So we ended up having to drop that part of it. And we still did stuff. We just didn't do it under an official charity. So right. it, it can't, you know, I understand why the rules are there, but it did make it extremely difficult. Yeah. Time. Yeah, because you're, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> shooting the messenger, you know, we're just trying to help these people out. And then, you know, all the red tape you have to go through. But, you know, you can still find ways to give and you certainly have done that. And I'm just so proud of you guys for the things you've done. And you make a difference and you have been making a difference for over 16 years, you said. So kudos to you guys for that. I, I'm so proud of you. And, and I know it's a lot of work. And and I'm sure you'll do it again if somebody needs it. You know, if you hear anything, you guys are on it. You've always been that way. Regardless, uh, you talk in your podcast, the very first thing you talk about the veterans, you talk about people with mental health issues, uh, suicide prevention, you actually say, call us. <laughs> you do. Mm-hmm. And, call us, message us, email us. Yes. And you know what? Not a lot of people do that, Jerry. Let's be honest. Yeah. You got to, I guess, put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. and. Well, Anybody, anybody can talk a good game, but I mean, you know, and it's, it's not easy on us. Right. I mean, we probably have two to three people a day message each one of us. Oh, wow. So over the course of a week, I mean, that's, you know, you're looking at 14 to 20 people each week and sometimes it's the same people when you, that's understandable, but there's a lot of different people that reach out. I mean, we just had a young lady reach out that. You know, she, I don't know exactly what her affliction is, but it's a disease where she's in constant pain. Mm. She can't work. She has to, she's bed bound most of the time. And she's, and she's told us for years, I mean, at least three years, she's listened and says that the show helps her to get by because that's what, that's how she can even try to go to sleep. And she had sent me a message the other day just saying that she's been by herself because her mother is usually there uh, with her, but her mother has not been able to be there for the last couple of weeks. And it's hard to just sit there when you when you're in constant pain and nobody to talk to. And she wanted to talk to me, you know, so I've, we've been messaging back and forth and about anything. It's, it really wouldn't, you know, nothing major. She's asking about the ferrets and she's. Yeah. Asking what their names are, and she's asking, you know, well, have we ever thought about doing this on the show? And it's it's just something to take her mind off stuff, Absolutely. and sometimes that's all people want. Well, and, you know, I'm sure there's a level of loneliness uh, involved in that when, you know, you really can't go out socially. She might have fibromyalgia. That sounds like something. It's, 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 it's something that has the pain like that, but it's something else. It's actually a little more. Uh, constant to what fibromyalgia is. So sometimes fibromyalgia had, hits in spurts. Oh, okay, and it okay. were, but this is like a constant. She's in constant pain. Oh, that's so sad. But see, there you are. And, and you know, let's be honest. You have a full-time job. You have a full-time podcast. 
Uh, Tracy's, I think, still working. Is she? Isn't she still working? No, she she stopped uh, March of last year. Okay. Well, regardless, you're both pretty dang busy. So, <laughs> you know, and the the fact that you take the time out for someone else and if nothing else, just to give them a few minutes of your day, a, a few minutes of your evening, however much you can, it says a lot about you. And there's a reason you guys are so successful in what you do, Jerry. I mean, I, I swear to God, I, I really do believe in karma. I do. <laughs> and you've got a lot of good stuff coming on there. You know, karma's really treating you well. I would agree with that. And, and like I said, that's not why we do it, oh, but that if that helps, then. And, you know, hey, that's a win-win. Right. And guys, Jerry and Tracy, their podcast, if you've never heard of their podcast, it's called Hillbilly Horror Stories. They cover hauntings, uh, UFO sightings, regular UFO things, uh, cryptids. Uh, I saw one episode just recently, strange things found during autopsies. See, that's my kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, also like court cases involving ghosts. Yes, yes. Give it to me, man. And folklore, anything that interests them. It's kind of like my podcast, but theirs is a little bit more story oriented where he'll find the story. And then he totally rewrites everything to where it sounds, you know, better in his voice and, and it flows better. And then he just is a master at telling these stories. And Tracy, his wife, just chimes in and is either hilarious or asks questions. And it just it's the chemistry between them and the, the podcast is so much fun to listen to. And I encourage you all to to listen to it. And I think we do have a little short story that Jerry released on his Patreon that he wanted to kind of maybe give you guys a, a taste of what they cover. So Jerry, I think it's about the Anderson College in South Carolina. Yes, this uh, Anderson College is a, is a smaller college. I think it's more of an artsy college. Yeah. But this goes back to 1983. Okay. And the gist of it is there was uh, there was an article that was written in the local paper once the news got out about the story. And I'm going to tell you the story that they wrote about. Okay. There's a, a young man by the name of Richard. He goes to the Sullivan, which the Sullivan is what they call the, the music center there on, on, at college. It's where all the kids go for their music classes and all that. Okay. He walks in there. He's looking for his roommate, and he thinks, well, his roommate spends a lot of time over there. Maybe he's in there. And he walks in. He doesn't see anybody, but he hears piano music. Oh, wow. When he walks to the door where the piano music is, and sitting at the piano is this translucent, beautiful young girl and she's she's practically luminous. I mean, this wow. light is just shining off of her. And he's like, "Hello." And he <laughs> yeah. he and she looks back at him, and she's like, "Hello." And uh, oh, so she's like conversing he, with him, no problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he he's like, "Well, who are you?" And she said, oh, "Well, don't you know who I am, silly?" And he's like, "Well, no. But how would I?" And she said, "Well, my papa's the president here." So he goes on to have this conversation with this young lady, and it, it kind of drags out. But he asks her why she haunts that place. Oh, yeah. And she said, and she's like, well, I mean, I, I guess I really am not free to go anywhere else. And then, you know, she goes on to tell him that, you know, she basically committed suicide. She didn't mean to, though. She was dating a guy. Yeah. And her parents didn't like the guy. They didn't like the fact that she was only 16. And that he was Catholic. And this was in, you know, and at the time, I guess when this took place, there was a lot of prejudice against Catholics uh, by a lot of the Southern Baptists at the time. They just right. didn't like them. Right. So this this guy had two strikes and she said that, you know, he went to school there. And uh, so she was just trying to scare her dad. And uh, apparently it went a little further and she actually passed away. Mm. 
So then she goes on to tell this guy, Richard, that, you know, she said, there's a there's a young man that comes in here that plays the piano and he plays these Strauss waltzes. And do you know who he is? And he's like, no, how would I know who he is? Right. She said, I just really like it. So he said, well, tell me a little more about the guy that you were wanting to marry. And she's like, oh, he had curly black hair and blue eyes. And he just played these most beautiful waltzes and. You know, eventually he says, well, I can try to help you find him. And she says, well, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, I'll just try. I don't know. I'll, I'll find a do way. Something, yeah. <laughs> so, so the girl kind of fades away. Yeah. Well, he goes back to his dorm and there's his roommate. And he's like, hey, um, you go over to the music center all the time. Have you ever noticed anything funny in there? And the guy's like, no, funny like how? And he's like, well, you know, like ghosts. And the guy's like. What do you mean ghosts? Why would I, why would I see ghosts? And the guy's like, oh, I, you know, I was just playing. I really, I, would, I wouldn't be in serious. And he's like, I'm, thank God, because I was kind of starting to wonder about you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So then the guy starts asking. He says, so just out of curiosity, what kind of music do you play when you go over there? And he says, I don't know, just, you know, stuff. And about that time, somebody knocks on the door. It's a friend of theirs, and he stays too long. So he never gets an answer to his question. Gotcha. Next morning, they're walking to class. They pass up the music center. And they notice these two guys, maintenance workers, come running out the door. Uh-oh. And they're like, hey, what's what's going on? And, then, and the guy's like, dude, there is something strange going on inside there. <laughs> and then the other guy's like, yeah, there sure is. And, and they said, well, what, what's going on? They said, all I know is we walked in and we started hearing music and we know there's nobody in there. And the closer we got, the louder the music went. And they oh. said, the, the Richard guy says, well, what kind of music were they playing? He's like, hell if I know, we've, we've turned around and went the other way. We wouldn't have about to stick around to find out. <laughs> yeah. So he looks at his buddy, Frank, his roommate, yeah. and he says, you know, I think we should go in there and talk and find out if there's anything going on. So they, they go in and they, they find the head of the maintenance department. Yeah. And they're like, hey, do you ever notice anything strange? And he says, well, one time I was in here, it was about 9 o'clock in the morning, and there was some footsteps going on upstairs. And I know there was nobody else up here but me. And he said, I went up there and looked. I couldn't find anybody. But I know there were footsteps. And I thought it was crazy until another maintenance worker told me they had heard the same thing. Oh, wow. So he leaves. And, and Frank and, and Richard, the, the roommates, they leave. And they go stand underneath this big oak tree. And he says, you know, I asked you a question last night. I didn't get the answer. What kind of music do you play? So Frank runs his fingers through his curly black hair. And his blue eyes kind of start welling up a little bit. And he says, well, a lot of time I like to play music that my dad liked mm-hmm. and that were his favorites because it brings me closer to him because he was a student here back when he was in school. Okay. He was a music student. And he says, do you ever play any Strauss waltzes? And he says, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, I got a book on Strauss that I'm reading right now. Are you interested? He said, no, I think that's what I heard her playing. Mm-hmm. And he said, heard who playing? And he says, the girl, there was a girl in there and I heard her playing. Mm-hmm. And he started to continue telling the story. He was debating on whether to tell Frank the story or not. And Frank said, you know, sometimes when you're young and your mother or your father will tell you a story about somebody that they loved and was either going to marry or they felt like they were destined to be with. Richard said, yeah, yeah, I've been there before. I've heard those stories. Yeah. And he said, my father, back when he was alive, he used to tell me about a girl that he met here at school. That was 16 years old and her father couldn't stand him and forbid them to be together. And he said, it's just, you know, I think about that sometimes. Mm. And Richard asked him, he said, well, what what happened, Frank? Why wouldn't your parents allow him to, to be able to date? And he said, well, first of all, they felt she was too young. She was only 16. Right. 
And he said, oh, really? He said, anything else? He said, well, back then, uh, her parents weren't real happy that he was Catholic. So that was kind of all said and done. And he said, okay, that's absolutely crazy. And he said, yeah. And he said, well, what happened? And he said, well, the girl accidentally committed suicide. I think she was just trying to scare her dad, but she actually committed suicide. So now everything has completely lined up with this story. And so they go over to the music hall and they go back in again and they talk to a gentleman that had been at the school for a long time. And he said, hey, tell me about the music center. What's going on inside there? And the guy said, are you trying to get me in trouble, Richard? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the school doesn't like it when we talk about that. Anything to do with the music center. So they go inside and they hear this like a plop down, like somebody just slammed their hand down on a cord of the piano. And Frank said, I know that chord. So they rush over to where the piano room was. There's nobody in there. And Frank puts his hands on the piano and he pushes and does the same chord. And about that time, the cover of the keys slams down on his hands. And he left and he never went back in the music center again. And Richard would go in on a regular basis, but he never got to see the girl again. She never showed herself. And the the school will tell you, if you ask them about this occurrence, that nothing tragic ever happened on their campus, and they don't know what you're talking about. Oh, wow. Everybody serious? on campus seems to know. What? <laughs> so that's the, the story going on since 1983 at Anderson College. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it came full circle. You know, that wasn't an accident. Well, that was Frank's dad, and, and yeah. all that was connected in some way. Yeah, that was not an accident that it was connected. That How incredible. And now they're like, we don't want to talk about it. We're just going to shove it under the rug. <laughs> And guys, this is the example of the fun stories that Tracy and Jerry have um, on their podcast. And there's so many different genres and different varieties. So give their podcast a listen. I'm going to add all of this information on my show notes. And Jerry, as usual, I love you dearly. And I appreciate you coming on my show again. You always say yes. And you're always a delight. Well, thank you, Leslie. Well, that's because I love you. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.